Good morning. Well, we are going through the gospel according to the minor prophets. Rich introduced us to it last week. And so today we're going to dive into Amos. Amos is an incredible book. Um, It's short. It's one of the minor prophets. And as Rich spoke last week, the minor prophets is not because what they have to say is less important. It's just that what they have to say is condensed into a smaller book which is why we label them as minor prophets and major versus major prophets, right? So the minor prophets is just the fact that they're shorter. That's it. That's why they're called minor prophets. It has nothing to do with what they have to say. It has nothing to do with uh, uh, the ministry timeline of who they are or that they're less significant. It literally is just we have less material on them, which is why they're minor prophets. But one of the things that the minor prophets is really good at is it gets right to the point. And so we don't have to weed through any of the stories. We don't have to weed through any of the, these things. When we read the Minor Prophets, it's just, thus saith the Lord, and go do it. All right, so that's, what the, that's great about the Minor Prophets. If we look at the timeline and the, chronologi- the chronological timeline of the Minor Prophet, it fits into First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Okay, so if you're looking at, you're looking for timeline, you're going to see that it coincides with the stories that are in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. That is the the actual um, chronological aspect of this is the Bible and this is what's happening and this is the history, the background, and the prophets come in and they speak during those times. And so we know that what we do know is that Amos, his task was to speak to the northern kingdom. And if you remember last week, I know a lot of this is just facts and, and, and all those, this stuff, but we need to know the background in order for us to understand the message that, that uh, Amos is writing to and why he's writing to these people. Is that when, when after we, we preached through Joshua, after Israel was established, we had a couple kings, so King David came through, King Solomon came through. After Solomon, the kingdom got split into two nations. We see Israel, northern kingdom, and Judah, southern kingdom. Israel contains 10 of the tribes. Judah con- contains two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and the other 10 are up north, and they are still referred to as Israel. Okay, so we need to know all those things because when we read the minor prophets and we see the words Judean versus Israelites, we know that it's all, they're all God's people, except one is northern kingdom, one is southern kingdom. And the messages are very specific to the northern kingdom or to the southern kingdom. Okay, and so Amos happens when, and we see this as he introduces the book. This Amos is one of the few books that he actually talks about where they're from and what he does. And the timeline is, he, he says that Uzziah was the king of Judah and Jeroboam was the son of Joash, which is Jeroboam II, is the king of Israel. This happens in chapter 1 as an introduction. And we see that Amos, what does he do? He is a sheep herder and a tender of sycamore fruit. So Amos isn't one of those people that comes from a prophetic line. He doesn't come from a lineage of ministry. He, he literally is just like you and I. He is a farmer, and he is, he's, he's just going to, he just got an impression from God. God says, I'm going to use you to speak to my nation. I need, you to, I need to send you out. And so we know that Amos positioned himself in a place where he and God were tight. 
right? So he is hearing from God. God's like, I need you to speak this to the northern kingdom. We see that Amos is from where? Tekoa, a small village which is just south of Jerusalem. So he is from the land of Judah. He is from the southern kingdom. And he is, go- he is being called to go and speak to the northern kingdom. Okay? So that is background. These are things that you need to know. Amos, his name literally means burden. Okay? His name means the burden bearer. He is the carrier of God's message. That's what his name means. And so when you name your kids, be careful. Okay? I have a son named Judah. His name means praise. He cannot stop drumming to worship music. That is our life from 7 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock in the evening is nonstop drumming. Be careful what you name your kids because that is what you impress onto them. Amos means burden or the burden bearer of God. Actually, if you look at the modern day meaning of Amos, it actually took on because of what the prophet Amos did. So it now also includes the aspect of bravery and strength because it took Amos' guts to do what he did. You see, Israel and Judah was in a time of prosperity. Under the reign of Jeroboam, he restored the territory of Israel and has brought in peace to all the nations and he has brought in peace to Judah. So the two two southern northern kingdom wasn't fighting anymore. Nobody was fighting. Prosperity was in in the land. Everything was good. Milk and honey flowing. This is the promised land that God has said, I am gonna bring you in the promised land. And Amos is then called by God and God is saying, these people spiritually are heading into corruption and moral decay. And so I need you to go and speak to them. So he's speaking to Israel. And so that is our background, okay? Everybody got that? It's, it's like drinking from a fire hose, I know. But I'm going to pray and the Holy Spirit is going to come and make all of this make sense to you, right? All right, so let's pray. Father God, we just pray and we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you have to say in your word. And Lord, as we hear it, as we listen to it, as we receive it, Lord, may your spirit give us grace and mercy. Lord, that as we hear these words, that you take them to help us transform the way that we live, to challenge us to come closer to you and to draw us near to who you are. So Lord, we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of Amos. We are going to be jumping all over the place, so it's better if you have a paper copy because then you can flip. Uh, But if you have a digital copy, that's cool too. Uh, But Amos starts off, the first thing that he says is, the Lord roars from Zion. What animal roars? A lion. A lion is always the, the, the animal that that kind of depicts who God is, right? It says the Lord roars from Zion. When a lion roars, there's only two reasons that a lion ever roars. One is if something is intruding into the territory and they're giving a warning signal out saying, hey, watch where you're stepping, watch where you're going. It is a warning. And the second time that it ever roars is on impending death right before it kills its enemy, or or its hunt, or its prey. So it will give out that last roar as it is, if you hear it, you're dead, okay? And so 
basically, it says the, the Lord is roaring from Zion. This is a warning. It's a, it's a warning of coming, of impending doom. It is a warning of God's wrath that is coming. It is not a suggestion. It is happening, and it's coming to you, and you don't have a choice about that. A lion, a lion will, not, will not give you more than one warning. If you have entered into his, his, his territory, and it roars, and you don't do anything about it, the next roar that you're hearing is death. And that's what God is saying, that, that the roar of, of, of God is coming. The Lord roars from Zion, and in chapter 4 it says, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. So God is saying, through Amos, I'm coming. This is the tone of the book of Amos. It is the Lord coming, and if you meet him in your rebellion, you will meet God like a ravenous lion roaring out of Zion. Okay? Amos chapter 5 says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. And if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him, it is not the day of the Lord. Darkness and not light, and gloom and no brightness in it. What Amos is saying that when the day, why are you actually looking for the day of the Lord? Okay, because when the day of the Lord comes, that's the judgment that comes upon you, and it is not good. It is going to come with full judgment and full wrath of who God is. Because why? Because we are sinners, and that we have turned away. And this is what Amos is coming to tell Israel. There's two main messages that Amos is telling Israel, and the the first is the absence of true worship. And the second is the lack of justice. And so we're going to look into these two things, but Amos starts off when he goes to Israel. You remember, he's coming from Judah. He goes into Israel. He's at Bethel. This is one of the main worship areas and worship cities of Israel. Okay, So he's there, and he starts, he addresses Israel, and he starts by saying, God's judgment is coming upon, and he lists out six nations that are around Israel. He's, he calls out Damascus, he calls out Gaza, he calls out Tyre, he calls out Eden, he calls out the Ammonites, he calls out Moab. And he says, These, this is my impending judgment that is going to come upon them. They have sinned against me, and I am going to punish them for it. And then the seventh one that he calls out, he calls out Judah. And he's like, Judah... He judges differently because he calls out the humanity sins, the human sin natures of these six other nations. But for Judah, he's, he calls them out on a different and a higher standard because they are chosen. He calls them out on the rejection of the law of the Lord. And so Israel is listening to Amos calling all these things out. And it's like, oh, this is good. Calling out all our enemies. Don't we love it when... All, uh, all our enemies are being called out for the wrong things that they are doing. As a kid, it's just like when your, your, your sibling gets in trouble, it's just like, there's this part of you, you're just like, yeah, they're in trouble. That's good. Yes, mom and dad's after them. But when that, after, this, after he calls out Judah, he calls out Israel. And Israel's list is four times as long as the list that he calls out on all the other nations. How much does that suck when you get called out on the wrong things that you're doing? How much, 
how do you feel when you get called out on the things that, that you, you find that, oh, I was righteous. But yet God, God uses Amos and says, you are doing something wrong. You're doing all of these things, and he lists out all of the offenses that Israel has done. And Israel gets offended. Here's the thing is that when we get called out on something, we have two choices that we can make. One is to deny and defend what we've done wrong and come to a place of defense and miss out on the mercy of God and bring on the judgment of God. Or we could repent and receive the mercy of God so his judgment's no longer upon us. Those are the only two options. It's either take the judgment or repent and seek after him and turn from your ways and come into the grace and mercy of him. And so this is Amos's, this is Amos's cry towards Israel. He's saying, look, these are the things that you have done. And Israel is in a place where they're just like, man, things are so good. We're living in prosperity. We, we live in a culture where we are giving to, we're going to church, we're, we're singing hymns, we're giving our tithes, we're good. Come on, it's, you're throwing cold water on the way that we live right now. You're calling us out when we don't need to call us out. We go to church, we're good. And so Israel's in this place where it's just like, what, what, why are you being like that? You see, 1 John 1.10 says, If we claim that we have not sinned, then we make God out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. If we deny that we have sinned, if we deny that what we're being called out on, then we make God out to be a liar, and that the word of God has no place in our lives. So Amos then goes on in chapter 3 to verse, into chapter 6, it says that he goes on and he, he expands on the accusations that he lays on them, the judgment calls that comes with it. So the first judgment is the absence of true worship, that they've forsaken God, that they are living as believers, yet what they did was just out of ritual and out of religion and not out of relationship. First, Amos describes five things. So he starts off with, these are the five things that God has chastised. So God has done certain things in your nation. And the aim of all of these things, so he, God's like, I brought on a famine. I brought on locusts. I brought on all these negative things. Why? Because I wanted to win your heart back to me. So God brings on all these things, five things that he chastised, and God says, yet you did not return to me. So what Amos was pointing out at this moment is that when God did things for you to come to me, you did not respond to it. Sometimes when we look at our lives and we look at how, how we live and sometimes we have these, these bad moments, we, 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 we kind of write them off a little bit, right? We, we think, oh, they're just these little blips in our life. But sometimes it's, it's God just prodding you a little bit. It's like, hey, I need you to come back into a right relationship in this area of your life. Whether it is in relationships, whether it is in finances, whether it is in career, whether whatever choices that you make, whatever hobbies that you have, all of those things, God is using his, 
He's, he's calling you back to him. He's calling you into relationship to him because maybe in these areas they've become idols in your life and that you have forsaken and forgotten who God is in that particular area of your life. And so sometimes, like a shepherd does, when a shepherd is leading his herd and a sheep strays a little bit, a shepherd will use his rod to prod him back into the herd and that's what God does. Sometimes he uses a little pain in order to bring us back into right relationships. And so sometimes when we look at our, our pain and our suffering and some of the things that we're just like, oh, this sucks, life isn't good, life is, is in shambles, my finances are crazy. What God wants to do in that moment is to come back to me. Come back to me because you will not be able to solve this on your own. And so Amos is like, God did all of these things and yet you did not come. So now, after all these little proddings and you still not coming back to me, God's like, then I have to bring in my wrath. I have to bring in my judgment. I have to bring in this because this is justice. Sometimes we are very good at looking at justice towards other people and we're not good at looking at justice towards us. When God's justice comes upon us, you're like, oh no, God, don't do it. But when justice goes up towards other people, like, yeah, he deserves it. God wants all of us to understand that in sin, justice is death. That means all of us in this room right here is walking and heading towards death. And God is saying, come on, I've given you guys enough chances. This is the result of your choices. Not a result of my, my, my choice, it's a result of your choice. You have chosen this road for yourself. So Amos goes and he continues to talk and he, he, he calls out, not only have you, guys, have you guys lived in a way where it's just out of ritual, you live in a way where you're starting to worship other idols and sacrifices. You see, under Jeroboam, other Canaanite gods had started creeping in into their worship. And so they started worshiping the sun gods and the, the god of weather, which is Baal, and, and all of these things that were start, starting to happen. But he lays out even a more subtle way of rejection. And that rejection is actually by going to church, by giving offerings, by singing hymns, he actually lays it in, in chapter 4, verse 5. It says, you guys come to Bethel, you transgress to Gilgal, you multiply your transgressions, you bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes. Three days, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of, what, of, of which is leaven and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them for, for so you love to do, O people of Israel. So it's just, he's saying, you do all of these things. You go to church, you give tithes, you, you give offerings. How does God respond to all of those offerings? In chapter 5, he says, I hate and despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. What God is calling them out of, he's calling them out about their lukewarm Christianity. He's calling, out, ca- calling them out of the lukewarm acts of worship to mask what to mask what our heart really is about, that our heart is really attached to the world and to our own comforts, and God hates your worship and despises your feasts. 
That hits hard, doesn't it? What God is calling out is that you come to me on worship on Sunday, yet on Monday to Saturday, you live your life chasing after other things besides me. He's just like, that is even more, it's a subtle rejection, but that is even worse. He's like lukewarm. This is how God describes lukewarm Christianity in Revelation 3.16. He says that you are neither hot or cold. He's talking to a church in Laodicea. He says, you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold. I am going to spit you out of my mouth. In the Berean translation, it says vomit. It's a better word because it's that repulsive, that aspect of repulsion. Like God's like, you're not hot, you're not cold. This is, this is worse. I don't want you to just give your worship to me on a Sunday and live your life on your own for the rest of the six days of the week. Coming to God 52 weeks out of the year is not enough. That we don't live just for 52 days out of the year. That we live 365 days with God every single day, every single moment. And that's how God wants you to live. That is being that is being hot with God. That is being in God's fellowship. That is being in God's worship. That's what Amos is giving the task to Israel and saying, look, you guys need to straighten up your worship. Your worship means nothing to God right now. You may think you're good, but you're not. You're not in a good place. Your outward, your outward worship is not good enough. And if we don't take this seriously, God's wrath and his hate and despise of your worship will come upon you. And, he, and, 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 and church, this is what, what God is calling us out on. Our society today, there's so much hypocrisy and complacency in the way that we live that we start redefining what the gospel is according to our own feelings and what society tells us is right and we start defining um, what we preach by the society and the laws that are given to us. You see, what happens is that we start preaching a false gospel and we, and, and we want to feel like we want to preach a gospel that is not offensive and that is tolerant. And that's not what God is. God says, my gospel is good news. You don't need to sugarcoat it. You don't need to water it down so that it is more palatable. You just need to preach the gospel so that people may hear because in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Right? that we don't need to sugarcoat anything, that we just need to be bold and strong in preaching the gospel that God has laid out before us because that is good news. And everything else that we perceive as good is not good because ultimately the good news of God is his son Jesus Christ, which is his love poured down. You see, God is more accepting than anything else in this society when we talk about tolerance and say, we need to accept all these things. God has accepted all of those things. He has accepted sexuality. He has has accepted um, gender biases. He has accepted all of those things. He's just like, come to me. Let me define all of these things for you. We don't need to define those things. Preach the gospel. In a book called Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, 
It is a relationship of screw tape and wormwood. And it's, it's, it's a discussion of how do we derail Christians. And it's a really good theological book from the other side and the other perspective. And Screwtape writes this to Wormwood. He says, if you could once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderate religion is good for us as no religion at all. And it is more amusing. So the enemy's plan is to get you to become a lukewarm Christian. That you think that your religion is up, up to this point is good enough and I don't need to live more for God. That I have time. That I have enough time in this life to figure out my life with God later. That's actually the enemy's tactic. He wants you to think that you have time. He wants you to feel like you could live more fervently later in your life for God. But the reality is you don't know how fast it comes. When judgment comes, are you ready? If you're not ready today, you're not ready when judgment comes. So get ready today. And that's, that's what Amos is calling us. Get ready, get yourself. So Amos gives us a glimmer of hope in chapter 5. He says, seek me and live. Seek good and not evil that you may live and so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gates that it may be the, the Lord God of hosts who will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Get real with God today. Don't equate him with just the places of worship or the acts of religion because God is real. He is a person. Seek him, know him, love him, work out your life with him. Today, right now. The second thing that Amos addresses is the lack of justice. The greed that came with it, the morals and the ethical de decay of, of, of the land. Remember, they were living in luxury and prosperity. They were in a place where, where Israel was, was good. And that the rich was starting to take advantage of the poor and treating the poor in a way that it's, they throw them away. They, they, get onto the, they take advantage of what the poor has to offer to get themselves richer. And so the justice of that actually brings on the wrath of God. It takes advantage of those who are lower so that you yourself could climb higher. So God... You see, the thing is, God prospered Israel. Prosperity is not a bad thing. But the thing is, we have to understand where the prosperity comes from. If we understand that God gives us the prosperity, that he can also take it away. That everything that comes from God, now, that everything that comes from God is from him and are blessings from him, and therefore our attachments to it are not to the things that God has given us, but to God alone. And so when we're able to say, God Everything that I have is from you. Everything that I don't have is also from you. And so therefore, all of the things that I have is yours. And therefore, I can be generous with it. I could do things with it. I could ex extend the kingdom with it. All of those things. So when you know that you're walking with God is when you don't allow your material possessions and your money and your finances and all the things that the world worships define who you are and control the way that you live. But the thing is, Israel wasn't doing that. Israel was looking at the prosperity. He's like, give me, give me, give me more, 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 more. 
And when that happened, God's like, my wrath is upon you. Because why? Because idolatry has come and taken in place of that. You want to read that? It's in Amos chapter 6. And it doesn't stop there. Amos literally calls out people. <laughs> in chapter 4, he calls a lady. He calls them the cow of fashion. That is one of the biggest insults that you could call a woman, a cow. Come on. He's calling people out on their sin. He's just saying, hey guys, wake up. God's judgment is upon you and you're still not doing anything about it. God then go, Amos then goes and he starts talking and he gets these visions of judgment. A vision of locusts, a vision of fire, a vision of palm line. And it's all about God's destruction of Israel. And Amos pleads with God. He's like, have mercy on them. And how does God respond? I will have mercy on them. Why? Because God ultimately, at the end of the day, loves his people. He loves his people. But the thing is that because of sin, judgment comes. That is the consequence of sin. Judgment comes because of its consequence. God doesn't want to deliver that, but he has to because you have sinned. He has no other choice. This is justice. We always love to see justice upon others, but we never like to see justice upon ourselves. But God's justice is here, and he's, it's, it's knocking on your door. So you need to respond. You see, every prophet has a common call. As we look through every single prophetic book over the next 12 weeks here, every single book has a common call, and that call is to repent and to return to God. As hard as this message is, this is the love of God calling his people. You can't escape it. Even if you don't believe it, even if you try to deny it, you can't escape it. That judgment will come. You could try to hide. God will find you. I love how in the message of chapter 9, it says this. It says, no one will get away. No runaways will make it. If they dig their way down into the underworld, I will find them and bring them up. If they climb into the stars, I will find them and bring them down. If they hide out at the top of Mount Carmel, I will find them and bring them back. If they dive to the bottom of the ocean, I will send dragons to swallow them up. If they are captured alive by their enemies, I will send swords to kill them. I've made up my mind to hurt them and not to help them. That is God's judgment. I love the part where he's like, you Try to hide in the ocean. I'm going to send a dragon after you. I'm going to send a serpent in some translation. That's going to come after you. Seriously, we need to more, more, make more epic movies of, of God's wrath. <laughs> this is a beautiful thing. I know Stu would agree with me here. God says, I am giving the orders around here. I'm throwing Israel into a sieve. And among all the nations and shaking them good, shaking out all the sin and sinners, no real grain will be lost, but all the sinners will be sifted out and thrown away. Are you a real grain? Are you going to be sifted out by God? Where do you stand with God in, in your relationship? At the end of chapter 9, God does give us hope. He says that on judgment day, I will restore David's house. 
that I will destroy Israel. But at the end of the day, I'm going to restore Israel through David's house. And this talks about Jesus. It talks about how Jesus, he's going to use Jesus to bring restoration back into the nations. He's going to bring, bring, use Jesus to bring restoration of Israel. But then it gets extended to the rest of the world. Because we know that Jesus comes from the line of David. And so we know that when, he, when Amos talks about this, this is way before Jesus is even born, and before the Messiah is to come. He's like, there's going to be restoration bring, brought through the lineage of David. This foreshadows who Jesus is. And when Jesus comes, he is going to bring and rebuild and bring into us a sense of who we really are. That judgment doesn't come upon us anymore, that he is taking the judgment on the cross. As he died for our sin, Jesus took all judgment. God is calling us into a place, into a life of living with him. He's using Amos to call us out on the things that we're doing. Are we being lukewarm Christians? Are we taking advantage of things that we shouldn't be taking advantage of? Are we seeing injustice happen in this world and doing nothing about it? You see, the Israelites didn't not believe in God anymore. They didn't completely walk away. They were living the rituals of the religion of their relationship with God, but they didn't have a true relationship with who God is. And God's like, your worship means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. You could come here on Sunday and worship me and I will reject it. I will reject it. Because what God is calling you to is a life with him, not just a Sunday with him. He's calling you to a life with him. He's calling you to come to him through his son Jesus. Now all judgment, all, all wrath goes upon his son and not upon you. How are you responding to this word? How are you responding to the call that Amos has called out? This is a hard message. This is a message that is as true Back then, this has happened in 700 B.C. as it is today. And I do believe that looking at the society and the culture that we live in today, that this message rings even more true. Because as a church, we are being silenced in things that we could say. And so it is an encouragement of boldness. An encouragement of of being strong in who God is. Come to me. Come worship. Come lift up your daily worship to, of who I am. How are you going to respond, church? What kind of worship are you giving up to God? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We give all our worship to you. And Lord, as your prophet spoke Lord, we come in repentance of who we are so that we could have more of who you are. So, Father God, we just come before you and we just ask that you come and pour your grace, your mercy upon us and that your judgment is taken up by your Son, Jesus Christ, that we could come before you freely 
under His righteousness. So Father God, we just lift all of these things into Your hands. May we come and lift up our worship holy and pleasing to You. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.